Well, again, thank you for coming. Hey, I am uh, Pastor Scott, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory Life Church. And so glad that you tuned in. So glad that you're here this morning. And uh, we have uh, just our in-house uh, teaching pastor, Pastor Ron Donotter. He's been a, a huge blessing to this congregation. And uh, he is, uh, uh, you know, a key member of our leadership team here. Uh, and God has placed a really unique word in his heart for us, reacting to uncertainty. And yeah, these are uncertain times, right? And if you missed the message last week, you can just tune in anywhere online uh, at our Facebook page or on YouTube uh, and or go right to our website. It's there as well. And uh, you can you can uh, catch yourself up. But, uh, you know, for those of us tuning in now, man, we're in for a treat and a, a real exciting word. So I'm looking forward to it. God bless you. Pastor Ron, why don't you come? Amen. All right. Well, one of these days, Pastor Scott, we will figure out at the back there how to get the chat on the screen up there. We can do this. We just, you know, it's one of these things where every week you try one more thing new. And those of you who are sitting here, you don't, you don't see all the busyness and madness that goes on back there. But, uh, you know, we used to just have only the soundboard back there, and then we ended up with another computer. Now we've got, like, a soundboard and one, two, three, four computers and a television switcher, and it's just like, this just keeps on going and going. And you know what? If that interests you, talk to me, because we could very handily use a few more volunteers, too. Amen. Well, as Pastor Scott said, last week we looked at the first part of a story that takes place immediately before Jesus' crucifixion. And it happens right after Jesus and the disciples have shared the supper that we often call the Last Supper uh, together. And again, if you weren't here last week, or if you haven't had a chance to listen to it on YouTube or Facebook or the podcast, I really encourage you to do that, because I tend to build each message on, on the last week's message uh, and so it's good to end up catching the whole series. Um, and uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, Jesus has been spending the last few weeks uh, as he's uh, hung out with the disciples, hinting to them about this idea that he's about to be taken prisoner by the Jews, handed over to the Romans in order that they could uh, uh, kill him and crucify him. And uh, the, the conversation that we're looking at uh, actually begins in John 13, 31, where Jesus basically says to the disciples, and this is the Pastor Ron paraphrase, but he says to them, guys, it's time. I'm only going to be with you for a few more hours, and where I'm going, you can't follow. And as a result, four of the disciples end up asking Jesus a really specific question related to that final sounding announcement that this was it. Their time together was over. Peter asks the first question. That's the one we looked at in some detail last week. Then Thomas, who doubted Jesus' resurrection eventually, he asks the second question, and we're going to start there in just a minute. Philip asks the third question, and then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, not the one who betrayed Jesus, but a different Judas, um, asks the fourth question. And basically, all four of them are asking pretty much the same question, but each from their own perspective. What they're asking is, what's next? Okay, Jesus, we're not happy about this idea that uh, that you're going to leave us. And as I said last week, you know, they all kind of sat up straight and learned their lesson when 
Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, I don't think that's a very good idea. I don't think you should leave. And he turns, you know, Jesus turns around and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And I think, you know, I think Peter and the rest of the disciples kind of made this mental note. Okay, let's not have that conversation again. That didn't go well. Uh, so they've sort of resigned themselves to this idea that Jesus is leaving. But their question is, what's next? Like, now what? Okay, so it's been three years of, of amazing times. Now what? What's, what's going on? As, you know, uh, as, as I said last week, I think there's a lot of people in today's world looking around asking the same thing, right? Now what? What's next? You're, where are we going from here? Parents are trying to figure out, do we send our kids to school or do we figure out how to keep them at home and teach them ourselves? Um, You know, with jobs as scarce as they seem to be, and, you know, we had the sort of economic outlook from the province of Alberta this week, and it looks like they're forecasting unemployment to go up quite a bit. You know, what are we going to do for income? And where is all of this going to come from? What's next? Are we going to see a second round of this crazy virus? And have to kind of shut down and, and sort of pack up and, and back off again. And, you know, there's all these questions. Is, is it even real? Some people are saying. Is this whole thing a, a just kind of make believe? How do we react to all the uncertainty? So last week we looked at Peter's question and we determined two things. And that is, first of all, that your own ingenuity is not going to be enough. Okay, only your trust in God's love for you is going to get you through. So when you're facing uncertainty of some kind, you have to be convinced that God has you on his heart, that God's looking out for you. Got to be absolutely convinced that our future is in his hands, which then brought us to point number two, which was you can be confident that God has every moment of your future in his hands. You might be unsure of what's going to happen next, but God knows the future. And he is promising you that the future is good. So this week I want to look at Thomas's question and then Philip's question, or at least a part of it. And we're going to just start back in John 14, 14, where uh, Jesus says to Peter, and notwithstanding that Jesus has said to them, where I'm going, you can't come with me right now. Jesus says to Peter, where I am going, you know, and the way you know. And so then Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would know my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, as short as Thomas's question is, and as short as Jesus' answer is, there's quite a bit packed into this passage. One of the more famous verses in the Bible is found here that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Now, you know, I want to just point out that Christianity, and I'm talking now about true Christianity, real Christianity, is a very unique religion. Now, if you don't like the word religion, and I don't, then we'll just call it a, a system of, of belief. But whatever word you want to use, it's the only one of which I am aware 
where it's not the responsibility of man to make himself acceptable to God. See, in every other religion, if you look at it, it's the responsibility of the worshiper to make himself acceptable to the God that he worships. Think about this. You know, in traditional religions, we spend some time in Thailand every year. We didn't get to go this year, of course, but, you know, there's all these beautiful temples all over. And I'm telling you, they are spectacularly beautiful. Some of them are just literally just gold-plated temples. Like, they're just massively expensive. And the reason they were built is that some guy was trying to build merit for the next life so that he could get a better round in reincarnation. People in in other religions uh, might have to sacrifice things. You know, we, we know that some of the Eastern religions, you have to attain a certain state of mind. The bottom line is, if you want to please your God, you've got to believe a certain way and you've got to live a certain way or behave a certain way or you've got to attain a certain level of significance, but it's on you to figure it out. And the worst of it is, You can never be sure that once you get to whatever afterlife you believe is coming, you can never be sure you've done enough. It's interesting that, and to me, it's evidence that all of those other religions are all bedded in the same lie. Because they all have that same kind of drive to them. Even if your God is something much more modern, like money, for example, you have to figure out how to get money to come to you. It doesn't come to you because it loves you. It doesn't come to you automatically. You have to work hard at reaching your goal. And whether your goal is comfort or fun or security or whatever it is you hope money will get you, you're never quite sure you have enough. And you're never quite sure that you've fully achieved everything that you're hoping money will do for you. See, in Christianity, God turns the whole equation around. And instead of us having to work hard to achieve salvation, what Christianity requires of us is the ultimate statement of humility. We have to come to God and say, I can't. I quit. I can't. Do it. I can't make myself good. God, I just recognize that at the core of my being, I'm bad. I'm sinful. I have reactions and desires that are wrong. I don't like it, but I can't fix it. And we come to God and we say, God, I need you to fix me so that I can be the kind of person you want me to be. In other religions, you come to your God and hope you've done enough. In Christianity, you come to God and say, I surrender. See, Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. I will do it for you. I will make you acceptable to God. I will give you truth as a gift. You don't have to sit cross-legged on some mountaintop for five months to get there. It's in me Jesus says that you'll find the life you're searching for. And in saying, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas was saying, okay, fine. You live this amazing life going around and healing people and raising the dead and all of that. But how are we supposed to do all of that for today? And so here's my first thought for today. 
Number one, in all the uncertainty you're facing, start by trusting God. He is the way. He knows how to get through tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that and the one after that and the one after that. He's the truth. He knows what's really going on and what's not. No matter what you believe about what you read and where you read what you read, God knows the truth. And he's the life. He can make sure that things continue to work out for you. You know, it's amazing to me, and I had a a brother, a fellow minister point this out to me one time, and I've never forgotten it. He said this, it's amazing that people will trust God with their eternal destiny, but they're not sure about next week's grocery bill. Isn't that interesting? We'll trust God with our eternal destiny. We'll put our destiny in God's hands. And then we fret about the the grocery bill for next week. We fret about how we're going to buy school supplies or what we should do. As if somehow God can look after the big stuff, but i got to look after the little stuff. Isn't it awesome that God can look after the little stuff too? God can look after all of the little stuff. You know, this morning I want us to recommit ourselves to trusting God for everything, big and small. Now, in the conversation, Jesus here makes another statement. He says, because you know me, you also know the Father. And that gets Philip jumping in with the next question. And in John 14, verse 8, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father And that'll be enough. Now, this time, Jesus' answer is quite long. It's about 13 verses long. And and I'm not going to read it all, but let's let's just kind of break it down and look at the pieces. Because the first thing Jesus does is answer Philip's question directly in verses 9 to 11. Basically, he says, how is it that I've been with you this long and you still don't get it? I am in the Father And the Father is in me. When I speak, it's God speaking. When I do a miracle, it's God doing the miracle. And he says, you've got to believe this. And then in verse 12, we bump into a set of verses that I suspect none of us fully understand, me included. In John 14, verse 12, he says, Most assuredly, I tell you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do. Greater works will he do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I've heard these verses preached all kinds of ways and to justify all kinds of selfish demands. You know, I've I've heard people use these verses to pray for a new car, a a new job, even a new wife one time. I I had to stop somebody. They were, you know, in Jesus' name, I claim a wife who's like this and like this. But they were already married. I don't think that's what those verses mean. I don't think I don't think you can read those verses and just somehow blatantly apply them to whatever you want. Uh, Jesus said, whatever I ask for in his name, it's mine. Father, I pray for a million dollars in my bank account. Let me go get my phone and check. I don't think that's what it means. 
Let me tell you that you can't read and understand those two verses without understanding the context of what Jesus was saying, because those two verses are sandwiched right between a verse that says, you must understand that God the Father and God the Son are one entity. They are one. And verse 15 that says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, there's an old hymn that we used to sing when I was a kid, and the chorus says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I wonder if the person who wrote that chorus was reading these verses when they did. Because if we trust and we obey, those verses that says we'll do greater things and God will answer every prayer are sandwiched right between those two thoughts. Effectively, Jesus is saying here, if we trust him and if we obey his direction, we can fully expect to see God do amazing things for us. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name. Now, what's that about? What's the in my name part about? You know, this isn't an afterthought you tag on to the end of a prayer like it's a religious version of please and thank you. I finish praying and I say, oh yeah, and in Jesus' name, amen. Otherwise, you know, if I say pass the mustard next, God might think I'm still praying, and so I sort of have to... Well, don't get me wrong. There's nothing bad about saying in Jesus' name after a prayer, and I do it all the time, and I don't plan to quit. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is saying is that if you become one with me and my will and my purpose, just as I am one with God's will and God's purpose, then you are in my name. And if you set your heart to do what I direct you to do, and if you commit yourself to living out my commands, then you are in my name. Now, this is an interesting question. What commands is Jesus referring to here? Well, you know, you only have to back up half a chapter to chapter 13 and verse 34, where Jesus says, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote it to you in the old King James, because that's how I learned it. A new commandment give I unto thee, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, you know the problem with that is? It's lost all of its power. Because we put it to a nice little song, you know, a new commandment give I unto thee that you love one. Jesus was, listen, that, that language is completely wrong. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, I am ordering you, love each other. Now, how did he have to do that? Well, remember last week I said to you that ever since Jesus said, I'm leaving, the disciples have been bickering and, and, and arguing back and forth. Well, I think I should be in charge. Well, I think I should be in charge. Well, I think I'm the best. Well, I've been with Jesus longer than you have. Well, I came first. James and John even got their mom to come and say, well, I think my son should have the left seat and the right seat when you get to your kingdom. They've been bickering and arguing, and Jesus settles them down and says, guys, I'm commanding you, love one another. Just like I have loved you. In fact... That is how everyone in the world is going to know that you're my disciples is because you have love for each other. That this isn't some soft little Sunday school song. This was Jesus kind of giving some smack here. 
He's t- saying to his disciples, I've had enough of this arguing. I've had enough of this trying to figure out who's best. How about if we figure out who's the servant of all? How about if we figure out how to serve one another? How about if we figure out how to be kind to one another? I almost wonder if Jesus isn't thinking to himself, I am within hours of being out of here and they still don't get it. I I wonder. I don't think he was frustrated because I don't think Jesus gave himself to those emotions. But I wonder if he wasn't getting just a little bit exasperated with them. And I think you have to kind of read that in that context. I'm commanding you to love one another. And that gets me to the second point today. If you trust God and you make up your mind to follow him completely. And I mean follow him completely. Follow his commands. Do what he asks you to do. Do what he commands you to do. Then he'll do things for you that you can't even imagine. God will solve things for you in ways you could not have possibly predicted. But it's really about setting your heart to follow his commands. You see, if you trust me, Jesus says, if you trust God, then you're going to see God do things for you that you don't expect and that you cannot possibly imagine. Pastor Scott's just finished an excellent series on how we need the Holy Spirit. Well, we that, that in this conversation brings us right to the point I need a little water that will save dry preaching. (laughs) This is right on the spot in the conversation where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. So he says, if you love me and if you keep my commandments, I will send you another helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just going to dig into something because, again, this is one of those little things that I just love. And if you don't study it out, you just completely miss it. You know, the, the Greek term here for another helper is a Greek compound word, parakalitos. And what it means, the word para means helper or beside or together with. So we talk about paramedics. We talk about paralegals. Okay. We, we, the word para means beside or together with. Now, the other part of that compound word, the word kletos in, in Greek, means across from. So this means across from, together with. Let me give you a word picture that you won't forget. Have you ever had to lift a really heavy box? And you need somebody to get across from you and lift it together with you. That's what, that, that's exactly what Jesus is promising when he promises the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send you somebody who's going to help you in the things that are just kind of too big for you. And he's going to be across from and together with and lifting. Now, let me change the word picture just a little bit. Have you ever had a four-year-old try to lift something and you came across from them and you helped them lift it? They couldn't budget by themselves if they had to, and you have no problem lifting it up. So you lift it, and they feel like they're struggling and straining, and then afterwards they say, I helped Daddy move the box. That's what the Holy Spirit is to us. He comes across from us and works together with us and helps us. Helps us what? Well, helps us keep those commands that are so difficult to keep. It's not easy to love people. 
You know, Pastor Scott told the story a couple times ago of, of the guy that passed him on the shoulder on the freeway and threw a bunch of junk in his window. You know, it, it, I, I, I find driving is challenging for my love. Okay, I just have always found that driving is something that's quite challenging and kind of challenges my ability to love people. Because people do stuff and I think to myself, what's wrong with you? And I, you know what? It's like it's the Holy Spirit that comes alongside of us and says, let me help you love them. I, I'll, I'll tell you what I do when I can catch myself. Always afterwards, if I don't catch myself in time, I pray for them. I just pray for them. And I say, God, I want to bless that person. I want to bless them in Jesus' name. I just pray they have a great day. I pray that they aren't affected by the fact that I was just irritated with them. And Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me for being irritated and just really bless their day. So now you know how to get me to pray for you. Just get in front of me on the freeway and go too slow. I'll give you a little bit more for the theologians in the room. And you know, you have one of those, one of those so-called Christian religions that they have to work really, really hard to get to the place where God's happy with them. They come knocking on your door. And you know, one of the things that happens there is they haven't read this verse carefully. Cause for the theologians in the room, verses nine to 11 say that the Father and Jesus are one, one in the same. Then in verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. One God, one Father, one Jesus, one Holy Spirit, one God, all one. Revealing themselves to us in three very different ways. Now, let's finish this up with verses 19 to 21. And then we'll close it out for today. In John 14, 19 through 21, Jesus says, Because I live, you will live also. You know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The one who keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. The one who loves me is loved by my Father, And I will love him and reveal myself to him. So just a quick review. Number one, all the uncertainty you're facing in all of that, start by trusting God. Trust God to help you with all your decisions, not just the big ones that you have no control over. And number two, if you trust God and you make up your mind to follow him completely, He's going to do things for you that you can't imagine. And remember, following him completely means committing yourself to loving others. Now, how do we make this practical today? Well, I have a suggestion for you this week. If you have decisions to make or you're facing a challenge of some kind, instead of focusing your prayers primarily on your own needs, I want to challenge you to look around you and see others who need wisdom. Find others who need a financial breakthrough. Find someone else who needs something more than you do. And then commit yourself to pray for them 
more than you pray for you. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus tells us that his direct order to us, his command is that we love others, that so often our prayer life betrays the fact that we actually think more about ourselves than we do about others. Listen to your prayer life this week. Listen to how you pray. Do you care more about others than you do about you? God doesn't say you can't care about you. God doesn't say you can't ask for you. In fact, he says ask. But he wants you to ask for others more than for you. He wants your vision to be outward, not inward. Looking at others, loving others more than loving yourself. Again, it's totally okay to pray for your own needs. But I want you to try an exercise this week where you focus more intensity and time on prayer to their needs than you do on your own. And see if that doesn't make a difference. See if that doesn't make a difference. In fact, if something happens to you and it makes a tremendous difference, and I bet that it will, drop a line to the office. Drop in an email and just say, hey, I did what Pastor Ron said. I started praying for somebody else, and guess what? God met my need, and here's what happened. I'd love to hear it. I started out today by telling you that Christianity is the only religion where you don't work hard at making yourself acceptable to God. Instead, you come to God in humility, and you acknowledge that you are not able to overcome your shortcomings on your own. You come to God and you say, I need you to change me. I need you to make me into the person you want me to be. You might be here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity in just a minute to do that. You might be watching on uh, on YouTube or on Facebook or listening to a podcast. Um, and I, I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with us here. It's just a simple prayer coming to God and declaring, I need your help. I'm just going to ask everyone here to just pray it out loud. And the prayer just goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And you rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. And I invite you to come into my heart and life. And from this day forward, I want to turn and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you do something for me? Would you either come and talk to me or talk to Pastor Veronica, talk to Pastor Scott? If you're watching on the online, you can drop us an email. The address is going to be on your screen. And just let us know. Let me know. Pastor Ron, I prayed that prayer with you. We just want to encourage you. We're not going to put you on some mailing list and mail you a bunch of junk mail. We just want to be able to encourage you and stand with you as you begin a new journey walking with God. Let's pray as we close. Father, 
I want to thank you today for all of the great promises in your word. And Father, even as the disciples were facing that dreaded moment in their minds where Jesus was leaving, and I know, God, they stood there watching you hang on that cross and die for them, troubled and puzzled and uncertain, And yet, Father, you had said to them over and over and over, Jesus, you made it so clear. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come to you. The Father is going to send you a comforter. He's going to send you one to work together with you and across from you. And you'll accomplish great things so big that you couldn't possibly imagine what I'm going to do through you. And Father, I I just pray today that you would make that promise real to every one of us here. That there would just be something that would come to life in our hearts. That would give us the courage to believe that if we'll just recommit ourselves to doing what you asked us to do, you will recommit yourself to doing whatever is necessary in our lives so that we can fully carry out your purposes and your plan. God, I do pray for those that are facing decisions, even this very week, just in terms of our kids going back to school. What do we do? Does one stay home? Does one go to work? Does one, do we, do we both go to work, send the kids to school? What are we going to do? Father, those that are looking at the bank account and thinking, man, it should be nice to have a job at all, because I, I don't even know where my next check's coming from. God, I thank you that you know, you see, you care, and you answer. And God, I am personally expecting to get Thanksgiving emails this week that just say, guess what God did for us? Guess what God did for us? God, we are so looking forward to rejoicing together with every brother and sister that gets a breakthrough of peace, a breakthrough of wisdom, a breakthrough of provision, a breakthrough of life this week. God, I hear the chains falling. I hear the chains falling. In Jesus' name.